Welcome to the Pelvic Power Podcast. I'm your host, Penny Peterson. If you live with pelvic pain, you have landed in the exact right space you need to be in. I'm a yoga teacher that helps people get out of their head and into their body through yoga and holistic living so that they can take back their power as well as harness their own inner power to make a change in their life. Here you will learn from myself, other pelvic power experts and advocates on how you can support yourself on your journey and make the journey so much easier. Welcome. Today's podcast guest is Jacqueline from the Lost Labia Chronicles. Woo! Jacqueline lives with lycosclerosis, and it's through that experience that she founded the Lost Labia Chronicles. The Lost Labia Chronicles is the place for people that experience the struggles and challenges that come with lycosclerosis. Jacqueline has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to LS, and she helps people like you and me understand the sometimes overwhelming information out there. In today's episode, we talk about Jacqueline's story living with lycosclerosis, the road to her diagnosis, what lycosclerosis is, how to get diagnosed with lycosclerosis, and so much more. I'm so excited to be bringing you this episode with the lovely Jacqueline. Enjoy. Welcome, Jacqueline. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. We got Jacqueline with us today from the Lost Labia Chronicles, and we are so excited to have you. So thank you for (laughs) being here. Thank you for inviting me. I've been so hyped for this talk, so I'm glad the day is finally here. Oh, same. We always have so many good things to talk about, and you're a wealth of knowledge. You're just, like I said before we started recording, you're just epic. So I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited for this talk, definitely. So welcome. Would you like to tell us about your lichen sclerosis journey? I would love to. How it started. All the little nitty-gritty pieces. I want to hear it all. (laughs) All right. I love this. It's always nice when someone gives you the opportunity to actually share your story. So it's always like, oh, I get to tell it now. Okay. Yes. It's my turn. Okay. So I guess my journey started in my early twenties and how this started for me was I would notice a lot of like, just discomfort is what I would call it first. Whenever I would have sex, I wouldn't use the term pain, but like, it wasn't comfortable. It always kind of felt like is this supposed to feel like this? Like, I know they say your first time is supposed to hurt, but this is my dozenth time. Like, doesn't it get easier? So like just discomfort enough that you would notice, but not enough that like my face would cringe and my body would contort in pain kind of thing. Then as the years progressed, that discomfort did start to become painful where like my face would kind of tense up. I'd clench my jaw, my fist, and I'd kind of like grin and bear it. I guess, right? Um, Brendan just, Barrett? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> it's a saying. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll learn some Swedish and some North American <laughs> sayings today. So Grin and Barrett is kind of like, huh, I've never actually had to, <laughs> I've never actually had to explain that one before. You're like, what does this actually mean? <laughs> like to push through something uncomfortable, you know? So like, you know, if you want to like, you're just, you're having sex with a partner it's not pleasurable, it's painful, but you just kind of lie there and wait for it to finish um, because you don't want to disappoint them. You don't, you know, all of these things that we tell ourselves. So you just kind of do what you can to get through it. Maybe you like go in your head and think about what you're going to make for dinner or pretend you're on a shopping spree, but you're just kind of, you know, doing whatever you can to kind of get through. And that's kind of where I was at. Um, I would try to just like, okay, it'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. Please finish, please finish. Because it was really, really painful for me. 
Um, and then I started to tear as well. So it wasn't just like, and the pain was very much like burning. So there was a lot of burning that would happen. And at first it was kind of gesturing like the, the penetration itself, but then later that burning would persist. So even when like we were finished, it would still burn. I would go to the bathroom. It would sting and burn. It would burn when I walked, it would burn for a few days after and then slowly resolve itself. And then I started to tear, which was as I know you tear too, it's really alarming mm -hmm. when that happens, right? Like prior to LS, I thought you tear giving birth to a tiny human, like yeah, the tiny it. human comes out of the vagina and there can be some tearing that occurs. That's the only time I had ever heard of the vulva tearing. So for me, it was like really alarming. I was like, mm, I don't, I don't think that's supposed to happen. And, you know, I'd often say like, you know, we talk, so, well, not all friends, but my group of friends would talk about sex. And I would often wonder why my friends with vulvas never said, oh, it tore this weekend or I'm still burning. Mm. And so I started to think like, I guess maybe this isn't normal or we just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so at this point, I thought it was bad enough that I started to seek out doctors. There's a few things that happened when I did this. So one thing is I would often go to the doctors and my language was not at the level that it is today. So I'd frequently go in there and, you know, they say, what are you here for today? How can I help you? And I would say, my vagina hurts. Mm -hmm. Hurts to have sex. Now we'll get to this later, but it was not my vagina that was hurting. It was my vulva, but I use the vagina as a catch-all phrase for everything down there because I was never taught our anatomy. I just thought the vagina was everything. Mm. Um, so I was like, my vagina hurts. And so they would go in and do an exam and go, well, I mean, you're small. So your partner's probably just too big. Um, you might need to leave them and find like a smaller partner. And I was like, okay, like, what Thanks do I just help, bro? Yeah. Do I just like send out a survey to the people <laughs> in my class? Like, is your penis small? Okay. Yeah. You, you, you are the ideal candidate. I would like to date you. Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh okay, like that doesn't seem quite right. But you know, they said everything looked fine. And in my mid 20s, I wasn't very, very critical. And I think a lot of us are taught that doctors, healthcare providers, they have authority, they've mm -hmm. been to school for decades. And, you know, if they tell you it's okay, it's okay. So I would leave. And I would keep going until things would get worse. And then I would try a new doctor. Now, another issue that I think came up for me in this like journey to find a doctor that could help me was that I was at grad school at this time. So as a grad student, you're kind of moving a lot and you're kind of not always in the same place, which means I mostly went to the university clinic. Mm -hmm. And at the university clinic, you're never seeing the same doctor twice. So in this whole span of time, I'm always seeing a different doctor. And I think that's important too, because sometimes I wonder if I had a doctor that was following my case, if maybe they eventually would have clued in and saw some changes that were occurring. But because it was always a new doctor, they'd be like, no, you're fine. And one doctor told me, of course, you know, to do yoga, which I always thought was funny because I did do yoga and I would literally go to the clinic in my yoga outfit, I would have my yoga mat strapped on the yoga strap against the, I had all my yoga gear and I'm sitting there like, 
but I do, I do oh, yoga. I just, yeah. Right. Like I'm just like, but I do yoga. And they're like, well, you're just really stressed then. And I'm like, I, I had, you know, enough knowledge to know that stress can affect symptoms. Mm-hmm. Stress can absolutely make things worse. But I was like, stress won't cause my body to rip open. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a big leap. So I never really bought it, but like, what can you do when no one listens to you? Mm-hmm. So I'm about 30 years old and now it's pain all the time. It's not just sex anymore for me. So initially in the earlier years, it was kind of associated to sexual activities. But now I was at the point where even if I abstained from any kind of sex, there was burning pain, there was stinging. I had, well, I didn't know I had this at the time, but I got a lot of fissures, Mm -hmm. which I used to say that I said, it feels like someone gave me 100 paper cuts all over my vulva and then took rubbing alcohol and emptied the whole bottle on it. I'm like, that's what it felt like for me. Um, So I had that sensation and the burning and the pain all of the time. Now I'm 30 years old and this is greatly impacting my quality of life. I'm trying to finish up a PhD, really damn hard to focus on anything when you're in so much pain and discomfort. And you're also like scared, like what's going on? Like no one knows what's wrong with me. Um, I'm a very active person. As I mentioned, I did yoga. I'm also an avid weightlifter. I love walking. Like I will walk for like six hours in the summer, just exploring around Toronto because I just, I love walking. Oh yeah. Like, can I come with you next time? Absolutely. Yeah. No walking is like the best. I don't know. I just, I love walking so much. And so obviously with all this pain and discomfort now, kind of wasn't doing that anymore. So I kind of started to like become a shell, you know, everything. I just kind of moved inwards and stopped seeing friends and stopped working out and stopped doing all the things because I was always in pain. And when I said I used to tear during sex, I used to joke that like the wind could tear my vulva open because sometimes I wasn't even having sex. Like sometimes I was going up a flight of stairs, tear. Mm -hmm. I know that feeling. And I'm like, what, what's happening? Like, well, and of course I'm stressed because all of these things are happening, but I'm like, there's gotta be something here. Mm-hmm. And so I went when I was um, 31, I believe I'm not the greatest with numbers. Everybody knows this. So take my timelines with a smidge of a grain of salt. I'm the same. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like 19 ish. So 31 years old ish. Um, I find this clinic called the Hassle-Free Clinic, which is downtown Toronto, and they're kind of advertised as a STI, genitopelvic kind of center. So I thought, oh, I'm going to give this place a shot because it seems that this is all that they do. Like a general doctor that's seeing, you know, strep throat and ear infections and chicken pox and giving a kid vaccines. I was like, this seems like they only do this. So I thought, let's go there first person there. I was like 40 minutes before they opened with my coffee standing nervous wreck, just like, take me, take me. And, uh, it was such a letdown. Um, I told the doctor my symptoms and she said, let me take a look. And then they said, you look normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Instead of saying, Oh, it's stress. It's this. She said, well, maybe you have multiple sclerosis. This one terrified me by the way because my mother who passed away when I was 20 had multiple sclerosis so 
that was scary to me because if you have MS, it's more likely that your children could have MS too. So I was like, oh shit, is this all just the beginning of this same disease that my mom had? Um, and she said, but so she said, you, it could be MS, but anyways, I can't help you. She said, I can't help you. You might have this really intense autoimmune condition, but I can't help you. Goodbye. That was it. And so I left thinking, I give up. I'm not trying to get a diagnosis anymore. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I guess it is all in my head. I guess my head is that magically powerful that it can transform my body. I give up because I thought to me, this was like a place that, you know, seemed to really know vulvas and vaginas. And I thought if they can't help me, then no one can. So I gave up and I thought I might just never have sex again. And I might just always be in pain. And then three weeks later, I went to my GP. I'm in Canada. So we have general kind of family doctors. And, um, and I went there for something completely different. I think I went there about my back. Um, and then I, I went on a bit of a tangent when talking about my back and I kind of mentioned like a vulva issue or something. Mm -hmm. And my doctor literally stopped me. She was like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, pause. And I was like, okay. She's like, we'll, we'll go back to the back after, but can you, I'm sorry, what is going on with your vulva? And so I tell her all of the things. Sorry, did you know the word vulva then? Did you use the word vulva? No, 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 I did not. I still did not know what it was. So, you know, I'm like, I'm retelling it from my perspective yeah, now, no, but I wasn't no. saying vulva. So I think I was just like, you know, it's always itchy down there and it's always um, painful and I can't have sex. And she was like, hold on. She's like, we will go back to your back, but can you repeat all of that again? And so I did in more detail. And for the first time, I thought, I think she might have an idea what's going on because she literally looked like a light bulb went off in her head. Like mm -hmm. she was like, okay. And then I told her how the hassle-free clinic basically told me I'm fine and there's nothing wrong with me and they can't help me. And she said, well, listen, I'm your family doctor. I would like to examine you if that's okay with you. She said, I, as your family doctor, want to be the one to say nothing's wrong. And I said, okay, I'm here. What's one more person looking at me down there, right? So I go into the, you know, the room, take off my pants, you know, the drill, right? Get into the stirrups and get into position. And then she comes in and doesn't even get close to my vulva yet. Like she's just kind of standing at the door and she goes, oh, you have lichen sclerosis. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry, what? And then at this point now, she does go up close to the vulva and starts moving things and, you know, checking the texture of the skin and, and really looking. And she goes, oh, yeah, this is definitely like textbook classic lichen sclerosis. And she goes, look, she goes, get changed, come back to my office and we'll chat. So I'm like, what is going on? My head is spinning as I'm like putting my clothes back on and I run there. And to be fair to her. I don't exactly know how much information she gave me because I kind of disassociated. Mm -hmm. um, I was so like my, I just kind of, you know, lifted out of my body basically. But I do know that she said it's autoimmune. There could be a family connection. So maybe your mom, maybe your sister. She said there's an increased risk of vulvar cancer. That's the one that sent me through the roof. Yeah. And I was spiraling and on a different planet when she yeah. said that. 
She gave me a prescription for clobetasol, said, use it daily um, until you see your gynecologist. Um, I didn't have a gynecologist at the time, so she had to put a referral in. That wait time was nine months, by the way, um, which is standard for Toronto for a regular gynecologist. I actually waited three years for my vulvar specialist in Toronto. Well worth the wait, but nonetheless. Um, and yeah, so I was on my my merry way with this prescription for an ointment I'd never heard of. Okay, interesting. Great. How old are you now? Uh, 35, okay. turning 36 in a few weeks. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for sharing had, that with us. I had to think about that one. I was like, how old <laughs> am I? Mm. I have so many questions popping up. First, we're going to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Can you explain to us what is lichen sclerosis? What is lichen sclerosis? The backstory. Yeah, that's a great question. And had you asked me that day, I would have said, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but now I know, now things are much different. So lichen sclerosis is a chronic inflammatory skin condition that primarily affects the genitals, but it can affect the extra genital skin. So some people will have it on their arms, their breasts, their stomach, their thighs. Um, but in most cases, you see it appearing on the vulva, penis, or the perianal skin. So for me, it was the vulva, but there are many people that have both a vulvar component as well as the perianal component. Um, there does seem to be a kind of hereditary link. Um, it's not fully understood yet. The percentages aren't completely worked out, but I definitely know that there are a lot of people that find out they have lichen sclerosis and then later find out that, oh, my sister has it or my mother had it or a grandmother had it. So it does kind of tend to run in families. So that's another important piece to it. Um, and it causes symptoms like itching and pain are the two big ones those kind of vary right so itch can be anything from mild and sporadic itching to a persistent itch that is so intense that it wakes you up at night so again it kind of manifests differently per person so again that itch and you may not have itch some people have pain instead and the pain can feel anything like burning it might feel like stinging kind of like that paper cut sensation that I was talking about some people will say it's more like generalized pain, um, pain when they're sitting, you know, the pain looks different on everybody. Pain with sex is another really big one um, that can happen as a symptom. So those are kind of like the big main symptoms that people tend to feel. And symptoms, by the way, are things that you feel. So a doctor cannot see your symptoms, right? So if you're itchy, the doctor doesn't see itch on your skin. They might be able to make an inference. Like if there's a lot of scratch marks on the vulva, your doctor might infer from those scratch marks that you are itchy, but they cannot physically see itch. So symptoms are what we feel. Now signs are what we can see. So the signs of lichen sclerosis include things like hypopigmentation. So hypopigmentation is basically whatever your default normal color is, be it brown, reddish, pink, whatever that color is, your default color will start to get lighter. So we often hear it presented as it causes whiteness, but that's not necessarily accurate depending on your skin color to begin with. So we often just say hypopigmentation is a lightening of the skin it may look white, it might look ashy, gray. Some people say 
silvery almost, but whatever your default color is, that pigment starts to go away. Um, so that's a big sign. And then another big sign that they look for is the texture of the skin. So often they'll look for skin thickening. So a thickening of the skin. They also might notice skin that kind of looks like cigarette paper or wax paper. It's kind of crinkled and, and wrinkly and it might kind of be shiny. Um, so those kind of textural changes are things that are definitely clinical signs of lichen sclerosis and the doctors are definitely looking for that. And then another clinical sign would be things like um, scarring and anatomical changes. That's a little bit of a big word or like, you know, a lot of people are like, what? So I just want to break that down. Yeah, it's so scary too to hear that as well. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. so scary. Yeah. So an anatom when we say anatomical changes or architectural changes, we are meaning changes to how your vulva looks. Mm -hmm. So for example, parts of your vulva can start to shrink or they can stick to each other. So that is called fusing. Fusing is when two parts, two separate parts of the vulva start to stick together. So we often see this between the labia majora, the outer lips, and the inner lips, which are the labia minora. Those two can start to stick together. Now, early in the fusing process, you can still see that there are two separate parts. You can feel that there's two distinct parts, but they're just kind of stuck. But then as the lichen sclerosis progresses, and lichen sclerosis is a progressive condition, so as it progresses, if you're not treating, that fusing will continue and they'll become more and more stuck. And the end result of that fusing can result in something called resorption. Um, your doctors might also call it agglutination. Um, but essentially what resorption means is that now those two parts have essentially become one. It's almost like if I had a piece of wax on my hand and then I dropped another piece of wax, those two pieces of wax, which were once separate, kind of just melt into each other. Mm -hmm. So if you take your hand and run it over where the labia majora and menorah could be, it almost feels like they're flush with each other. Like it's just one part. And that's what happened to me. I lost all of my labia minora completely resorbed. Whoop, whoop. Me too. Little yep. baby, babe menorah here. Yeah, I got baby like the clit. teeniest, the yeah. teeniest little bit right at the top near the clitoris. And then everything else is just resorbed into yeah. the labia majora. Um, so that's something that can commonly happen um, when we talk about architectural changes. Another common thing that can happen is the clitoris, the external clitoris, I should say, because there's actually the whole internal part, which is way bigger than most of us realize. But the external part has two components. You have the clitoral prepuce, which is the hood, and then you have the glans clitoris. And those are two separate pieces. And in a, you know, in a healthy clitoris, you should be able to retract, so pull back the hood and expose the glands. And that retracting motion should happen pretty seamlessly. It should just kind of glide over the glands. But what happens with lichen sclerosis is that hood can actually scar over mm -hmm. the clitoris. So that now if you try to retract, you might say that nothing happens, like you're trying to pull it back, but nothing moves and you can't visualize the glands anymore. Now you can have partial or complete scarring of the clitoris. Um, but these are things that happen and these are called clinical signs because these are things that you and your doctor can visually see. So, so these are some of like the kind of big things. 
And what's really happening with lichen sclerosis is actually lichen sclerosis is the single most inflammatory skin condition. So we are talking epic metric tons of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that the vulva has seven layers of skin. And in that seventh layer, in that basement layer, there's a protein or collection of proteins. And the body says, what the heck are these? I don't know these. And when the body doesn't know what something is, it thinks it's an invader and it needs to defend you. So we've got a foreign intruder and we need to get that foreign intruder out. So when the body wants the foreign intruder out, they launch this inflammatory response to try and kill off those proteins, which are actually part of our body, but that something's been kind of misconstrued and our body is coding them as not self when they are. So this inflammation, this huge inflammatory response at that basement layer starts affecting all the different layers on top. And so, you know, if you look at a biopsy sample, they're looking for a bunch of markers, um, one of which is hyperkeratosis, which essentially just means skin thickening. So the reason I mentioned this one is that a lot of people are like, but my vulva is thin. It's not thick. True. So what happens is that that thickening often happens in like the middle to top layers. It's like this massive band of super thick skin, but then that superficial, the layer that's on top, which is the layer that we see that can kind of atrophy and thin down a little bit. So in some folks they'll say, well, it looks thin, but what's going on underneath is massive amounts of thickening. And then some people will have actually like thick plaques of skin that they can visually see too. So it is a super inflammatory um, condition and that inflammation is responsible for all of our signs and symptoms. So for example, that thickened layer of skin, that is why we tear. We tear because the skin of the vulva should be elastic. It should be mobile. It should be able to stretch and accommodate for different things like a speculum, like a tampon, yeah. like like, you know, a penis or like a sex or toy, a it hand. should yeah. a hand, exactly. Like anything really, it should be able to just kind of expand when we want to insert, but because it's super thick, it doesn't have that flexibility, that extensibility. So it's super, super rigid. So when we try and stretch something that has no give, what happens is it cracks mm -hmm. and that's those fissuring and that tearing that we often get. The thickened skin is also responsible for the itch. So all of these skin changes are occurring because of the inflammation, which is changing how those layers beneath are, are you know, reacting. And so that's why we get these, you know, things like tearing and pain and itch. And that's also responsible for some of the clinical signs that we get too. For example, the hypopigmentation, when that inflammatory response is going, it kills off these cells, which are called melanocytes. So melanocytes are basically just the cells that produce the pigment of your skin. Mm -hmm. So if they are killed off, then we lose the pigmentation. And so that's why we get that hypopigmentation is because those melanocytes are being destroyed from the inflammation. So our body isn't getting those, you know, pigmentation signs anymore. So that pigment starts to fade. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is so interesting. And I love you're such yeah, you have so much knowledge about this topic. And you're so passionate about it. And it's just the way that you explain things like, I'm just like, my mind is just blown right now. 
<laughs> so I love this. This is great. And it's also like when it comes to like the skin not being elastic enough, like it's more than just, you know, putting in a penis or a finger. It's also like on the outside. I feel like a lot of people, they're probably worried like, I'm not even trying to put a finger in. No, but it's also like on the outside. So I can feel that like when we're trying to do pleasuring on the outside, like mm-hmm. the skin isn't as elastic and then you can also tear because of that, because the skin doesn't want to work with whatever motion is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also why people like you and I have sometimes experienced tearing when we're not doing anything yeah. sexual. Why, you know, we're walking up a flight of stairs and like, as you're walking up that flight of stairs and your legs kind of separate, yeah. there should be that elasticity that kind of just moves along with us. But again, if it is like thick, thick, thick and hard and rigid and has no give, then it's easier for it to crack, which is why, again, like it's not just about sex yeah. or sexual activities. Sometimes it's just walking for yeah. some people. No, it's it's so interesting, definitely. And like looking, for example, about, you know, trying out new vibrators and stuff like that, because I have to be very mindful of the vibrators that I use, like yes. on the outside of my skin. So I can like, just imagine that it's the same for other people. You have to find what works for you because some of them are like really hard. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need a soft one. I need a soft. Vibrator. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I always tell people when it comes to sex toys to like, work your way up, like mm-hmm. get a baby one that is very like low, very gentle, very this, like, I love my Hitachi magic wand, which is like that wand that looks like a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And I like those suction toys, but those are very, very, very intense. Ooh, and I would so have intense. never started with those. It's almost yeah. like I needed to build not only my tolerance up, but I had to work my way up mentally because there's a lot of fear, right? Mm-hmm. With using sex toys, you're like, oh, no, am I going to tear myself using this? Like, so I always say like, just maybe like a tiny little bullet at first, a lot yeah. of lube put it on the lowest setting and like, you know, find what works for you slowly, but surely, but don't go in with like the big guns right off the bat. <laughs> no. And like, I just remember watching like sex in the city when you were growing up and they had like these massive vibrators. And now I'm just like, yeah, maybe no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> or like, maybe not right now. Yeah, right. Like, so the other now. thing too, is like with sex toys, it gets easier. Um, when the skin starts to heal. So as you start to treat and the skin starts to heal and you get more of that flexibility, that extensibility back, then those toys become easier to work with because you're less likely to tear now that the tissue is much more flexible again. So it's like, okay, you know, maybe not right now, but maybe when my skin is healthier, I can like level up my sex toy game or my vibrator game. No, exactly. I love that. That's so good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you get diagnosed with like sclerosis. Fill us in, how to get diagnosed. So there are two main ways that lichen sclerosis can be diagnosed. So the first way is with a vulvar biopsy. So this, now how they do this will depend on the provider. And there are some providers that have a more compassionate approach and others that have a less compassionate approach. So the less compassionate approach is they will inject you right away with a local anesthetic. So that's a big needle that they're going to put in the vulva to numb you up. That needle is the worst part. Oh, sucks. (laughs) That needle is what causes the majority of the pain. I know people that say they put in that needle and they jumped off the table. Like it was very, very painful. 
So they'll inject you with local anesthetic, numb up the area. And then they have this instrument that also almost looks like, I don't know if you have this in Sweden, but in like math class, there was like this geometry tool and it kind of like helped you make a, a perfect circle kind of thing. It was like this little metal instrument. I clearly didn't pay much attention in math class because I don't remember what it's supposed to do, but I did like playing with it. Yeah. Um, and so the instrument kind of looks something like that. It's a kind of metal, you know, instrument and it will remove. So it's a punch biopsy, by the way, not a shave biopsy. It's a punch biopsy. So it's almost, I know this is really graphic, but it's almost like a hole puncher. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the size. It's usually like a four millimeter hole that they will punch out. And then they take that sample. They'll write up some notes and then they'll send that to a pathologist. Ideally, that pathologist is a dermatopathologist, which is a pathologist that specializes in kind of dermatoses. Um, They will then analyze that sample and give it back. Now, the more compassionate way is that before doing the needle, they'll numb you up with a local kind of topical, like a cream. So like in Canada, think something like Emla cream Mm -hmm. um, to kind of numb up the area before they go in, you'll probably still feel the needle, but slightly less. So I say that's a more compassionate way because we're mindful of the fact that the needle can be very, very painful for a lot of people. So it's not that hard to just put a little bit of cream on first, Mm -hmm. numb them up and then go in. I mean, I always think of it like when you go to the dentist to get a cavity, first they put like a gel to numb the gum before they go in with the needle. Same thing with this. It's like, you know, just put on that cream, numb it up, then go in with the needle and take the punch biopsy. And by the way, the reason that it's a punch biopsy and not a shave biopsy comes back to those multiple layers of vulvar skin. They need to get the whole picture. If they just did a shave biopsy, they're just shaving a little bit off the top. So they might only get like the first layer of skin. And to diagnose lichen sclerosis, they need to see all the layers. So that's why they're going in with the punch biopsy to get it deeper because a shave biopsy probably wouldn't give them that much information because lichen sclerosis is very skin deep. They need to get that depth in order to make the diagnosis. So That's one way that lichen sclerosis can be diagnosed. The other way is through a clinical examination, which involves your provider. They will talk to you. They'll take your medical history. They'll ask you about your symptoms. And then after they gather the symptoms, then they're going to do a clinical examination of the vulvar skin. So this will look like them using their literal eyes and going up close and examining the vulva. Now, many offices have, you know, specialized instruments. Some of you might've seen your doctor will almost like pull this ginormous thing over their head. It looks like a kind of VR set or something. And it just basically gives them better visualization of the tissue. So when they're doing this clinical examination, they are looking for those clinical signs. This is 100% what they are doing. So they are looking to see, do they have hypopigmentation? Do they have that classic cigarette crinkly paper? Do they have any shiny patches? Do they have any hyperkeratotic, well, thickened patches of skin? Do they have anatomical changes? Is there scarring? So they're looking for those. Now, if the clinician says, okay, I'm seeing all of the clinical signs, the symptoms match, they can make a clinical diagnosis and not do a biopsy. There's pros and cons to each. That's what they did to you when you were first diagnosed? When yes. she just walked into the room and she just saw. Yeah, she yeah. was like, okay, that's what it is. Because for me, 
well, I had the symptoms, but the symptoms don't really mean much because those symptoms, and we'll get to this later, those symptoms can be symptoms of almost any vulvar skin condition, right? You mm -hmm. think about vulvar skin conditions. I mean, yeast also causes pain and itch. Mm -hmm. um, so does, you know, so many things, right? So it's really putting together the symptoms with the clinical picture of the clinical signs. So for them, for my doctor, she saw it like my vulva was white, like top to bottom. It was mm. all white. The clitoris had a lot of thickening. There were fissures everywhere. I had labial resorption or agglutination. Like I had literally everything. And she was like, this is enough. I feel comfortable making a clinical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get a clinical diagnosis, you often want the doctor to be knowledgeable about LS to make that diagnosis. A lot of doctors don't feel comfortable making it without a biopsy. Usually if they do feel comfortable, it's because they see a lot of LS cases and they've taken a special interest in it. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for that, for shedding some light on that. Like, I know the feeling about the needle. And yeah. I've had, had I've had so many biopsies throughout my life because I've seen so many different specialists. And last time I did have my laser surgery, I I knew what I was what was about to happen. And the doctor gave me the Emla cream to numb it. So I right. put some on before I left the house. Came to the doctor. I put some on before I saw him. And then he had a look and he's like, "I'm just gonna wipe off some Emla here. There's a lot." <laughs> I was just so scared, but it went fine. It went fine. And I was really yeah. happy about that Emla. I was like, I feel like we really need that extra support because it also brings a, se a sense of safety in your head. Oh my gosh, like totally. Having that extra support. Yeah. And a biopsy is such a scary thing. Like mm -hmm. first to hear the word biopsy period, our minds kind of go to cancer and scary places. Yeah. And then worried about the pain and everything. So it's like Emla you know, I mean, you can get it kind of, I think you can get it over the counter in Canada. I'm pretty sure you don't even need a prescription yeah. for it. Yeah. I think it's pretty like, expensive though. It's like 70 bucks or something like that. Is it? Yeah. I have, I, I got it a long time ago. I don't remember, but it's like, yeah. And like, but if they offer it, it's like, great, just offer to put it on and then numb people up so that it's yeah. as least traumatic as possible. It's already exactly. going to be a traumatic, scary experience, but can we bring their level of trauma down? Can we bring their anxieties, their pain levels down? And if you have the opportunity to do it, it's almost like, well, why wouldn't you? And cut. How amazing was that episode? I bet that you were taking a bunch of notes. I sure was. That was such an epic episode. Woo! So the thing is that my conversation with Jacqueline was pretty long. So I decided to make it into two episodes. So you're going to have to wait. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Thank you so much for tuning in today and remember to take care of your beautiful body.